This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks episode 157. Recording on the very first day of June, June 1st, 2023. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places to search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content. Wait. So definitely got some stuff to unpack for this episode. Talk about the latest box office stuff, including the state of some films and potentially what could be in stock over the next week or two. Talk about emulation in regards to an emulator being shut down, being taken off of Steam, a TV murder 25 years later, or TV star murder 25 years later, and a few other things in sports, a few other things as well here on this episode of Geeks and Jocks. So let's head down to the movies. Now, box office mojo, always good to keep an eye on it every day. It might be the case of looking at it probably for this week on account of what's going on with Disney. So I'm not surprised at this past weekend being The Little Mermaid dominating the box office. I figured the other new wide releases would be a failure. So, Little Mermaid, middling review stuff here and there, actually had a pretty good weekend altogether, made about $95 million and made another $23 mil on Memorial Day. Uh, the numbers as it stands right now, domestically, as of Tuesday the 30th of May, $130.2 million. Domestic, 78.9 internationally, so it's already eclipsed 200 plus million, 209.2. So this is a movie that's been hyped up by Disney. They spent a lot of money onto it with the marketing and advertising, doing all this stuff to get this movie to be appreciated by many. I believe the international numbers for just the three-day weekend was $68 million. And combined with the four-day effort, domestically, it made about $185 million. And that doesn't exactly bode well for this movie. Since the budget is anywhere from 200 to $250 million, and potentially 80 to $100 million in marketing. If we go with the bare minimum, it needs to make roughly $600 million. At the maximum, $700, $750 million just to break even. And even with that, it's hard to guess whether this movie will have a good weekend or not in its second weekend in theaters. I think it's going to be hard to make an easy prediction. Moving into number two, Fast X making about twenty three million, 
over the weekend and an additional five and a half million on Memorial Day. Altogether, 116 million domestic, 406.3 internationally. It's made 522.3. That is not good. That is not good at all. Someone at Universal must be kicking themselves in the butt for putting up a $340 million budget. The the numbers are disappointing here domestically. It's kind of got the opposite of the problem with Little Mermaid that Little Mermaid has. Little Mermaid's got issues with international stuff. And Fast X domestic. Not good. I'm not sure if both these movies have fully opened internationally. I don't think Mermaid has. I want to say Fast X probably has. But this has got to be hugely disappointing for Universal. That's saying a lot. 65.6 drop in percentage. So, yeah, it's got to be really bad. Number three. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 putting in another 20.8 million and another 6 million for Memorial Day. Sitting comfortably at 746.4 million worldwide, 308.8 domestic, 437.5 internationally. Definitely inching towards 800 million. Not sure if it reaches what the second movie did, but could potentially. Disney definitely surviving on that. Uh, number four, Super Mario making about six point four million over the weekend and an additional one point eight mil Memorial Day. Not sure if it'll reach one point three billion, but very close. Five sixty one point seven domestic, seven twenty one point nine internationally, one point two eighty three billion. It's run in theaters, I think, will end in probably like a few weeks. So we got four new movies coming out that all reach a spot. Five through eight. The Machine, five million for the three-day weekend and making 875000 I'm not surprised this movie failed. 2,400 theaters. This is... I mean, it, it's Burt Kreischer based on a stand-up thing that he talked about, and I think it's supposed to be like the movie version of it. I wouldn't be surprised if this movie's panned. Right now, $6.4 million, about 98% of it, domestic. Number six, About My Father, $4.3 million for the three-day weekend, and just over a million for Memorial Day. I'm not stunned at this movie failing. This Sebastian, whatever his name is, and just another Robert De Niro comedy that probably got panned spectacularly, if I had to guess. 6.2 million domestic, 95.9% of it all being domestic. Number seven, Kandahar, 2.3 million. And a Memorial Day number 
of just over half a million. Not stunned that this failed in its debut weekend. 3.6 million um, as it stands worldwide. 3.1 domestic and 475,000 internationally. I mean, the Covenant failed last month or a couple months back. I didn't think this movie was going to do well at all. So number eight, this is a A24 movie, so it's a smaller release. You Hurt My Feelings, which is a new movie with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies, I think his last name is. Made about 1.3 million over the weekend and 377,000 on Memorial Day. There's no numbers for for Tuesday, so probably a limited release right now if I had to guess. Probably comes out bigger sometime down the road. A24 is a pretty small uh, company, but they've produced uh, some award-nominated films, and they're smaller-budgeted type stuff, too, so you know where that's going. Number nine, Evil Dead Rise, for just over a million dollars over the weekend. And not a lot, either, for Memorial Day. 66.5 domestic, 78.1. Probably has reached where it needs to be, probably finishes up at around 67 68 million and number 10 book club the next chapter 869,000 so yeah I'm not stunned that this failed 16.5 domestic and 7.9 internationally yeah So, moving to what's coming out. Now, I think it's safe to say Fast X is dead here in America. It'll be lucky if it even has eight figures for this upcoming weekend. um, And I'm not sure it even will. So... Universal's going to do whatever they can over the next few weeks to try to get people to see it, but the numbers are just that pitiful here domestically. Just just bad altogether. There's a bunch of limited releases on June 2nd. So tomorrow... The big release going to be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the second of that animated Spider-Man type stuff. Uh, So this is probably going to be the one that either inches out Little Mermaid for number one, or it finds itself at number two, depending on how well Mermaid does in in theater for its second weekend. If I had to predict 
the Little Mermaid's numbers for the second weekend, I think it needs to make about 40 to 60 million. Anything less than 40 million, then I'd say Disney will panic. But internationally, it, 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 it it's pitiful. It's dreadful. It was a major flop in China. And some of the other markets are just not interested. And I think what's going on is you have you have a movie that not a lot of people not a lot of people gravitate towards similar to Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King. And so this movie, it's going to be tight in the 11 million for Tuesday's numbers. I would think people are going to see it more and more, especially as some places school is out. So kids probably going to go ask their parents to go see it and all that. But I think if anything less than forty million, like I said, and I think it it'll be a failure. And Spider Man across the Spider Verse, its budget is supposedly at a hundred million. That's pretty good. I mean, if this is the movie that makes a hundred million, I mean, so be it. Yeah, I mean, that this is the type of movie that I think people need to make these smaller budgeted type movies that that can net you a good three hundred, four hundred million, and nothing to worry about in terms of profitability and and making a little money for your studio. And Spider-Man is an attractive name you know, to many people. So as far as limited releases go, Unidentified Objects, The Roundup, No Way Out, The Boogeyman, I don't know if that's a wide release or not, but it says limited right now. But if it's big wide release, you know, so be it. Uh, Rise, Jawan, Concerned Citizen, Past Lives, Falcon Lake, Lynch Oz, Simulant, and Follow Her. Other movies coming out prior to the 9th. Sugar, Oz Tour, D-Day, and In Japan. A re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And The Godman. The next big wide release, as far as I can see, is Transformers. So... Definitely going to be a busy summer. That's for sure. Moving on to sports. We got two championships set to start. Today will be the NBA Finals with their first game of the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat and the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. 
and the Florida Panthers on Saturday the 3rd. Now, the Heat just finished up their series against the Boston Celtics. Up 3-0, lose the next three. In Game 7, they showed up, taking advantage of a Jason Tatum injury early in the game to ride its way to a Game 7 victory in in the, what's it, TD Garden, I think it's called. The same arena where the Florida Panthers eliminated the Bruins in the first round in overtime. You talk about what the Heat have been capable of doing, and Eric Spolstra, who has been coaching the team since the start of the 2008-09 season, he's only had about three losing seasons. He knows how to rally the team and the players that he has around him. It's one of those things that you just find it hard to believe. And no doubt with the type of guys they have there, and I think they're going to get one of their guys back. I think his name is Tyler Harrow. It's going to be an interesting matchup with the, you know, I think it's like Jamal Murray. I think Aaron Gordon is another one. And of course, Nikola Jokic. Joker. I'm thinking a five or game, a five or six game series. Uh, I think Denver gets their first ever NBA title. There's the, there's the talk also about the ratings for the NBA because the playoffs have seen a good boost in ratings this year and I think it has to do with the matchups, the players involved and there was a headline I seen of well over a week ago of over like an average of like 8 million people watching the Nuggets beat the L.A. Lakers. It's the storylines. It's the situations around the teams, the peak of basketball with the playoff runs and everyone putting in their best and seeing some of the storylines. Speaking of other storylines, the only other big thing that I can think of is Uh, I believe Nick Nurse is the head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers, according to like ESPN and a couple other places. I'm not sure he's going to fix the problems that the Sixers have. They've been good for a long time now, and it, it nothing has materialized. I mean, he kind of went downhill after the first year with the Raptors after winning that championship with Kawhi Leonard. Hard telling, not knowing. Then you look at the NHL a little bit. Well, someone's going to win their first title. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and say Vegas wins in five. 
maybe six games. I think, but uh, if if the Panthers win it all, you know what? It'll be a wild party there over in Miami, in Florida in general. If the Panthers were to win, and if we're, you were to see the Heat win, it's going to be rocking. Especially nice beach town, nice parades if they were to both win it all. <laughs> there really hasn't been anything too noteworthy in in baseball. I mean, we're seeing guys like Pete Alonso and Aaron Judge hitting home runs. The Atlanta Braves. I believe it's uh, some Schneider guy. Forget what his name is. Yeah, Spencer Snyder getting to over 100 strikeouts. So a couple notable things over the course of this week. Oakland Athletics. There's always been this idea of having a new stadium to replace the piece of crap known as the Oakland Coliseum. However, things have not materialized for a very long time on getting a new stadium and them looking into some land over in Vegas, there were some renderings put up of a new ballpark if the athletics go to Vegas. And I looked at some of those pictures, and if I'm being honest, I'm not sure it would work. It has like a... There was something with like the retractable roof or something with the roof. And I think they were being cute with what would be great to work in Vegas along with some of the uniqueness somewhat of the Coliseum and I think if they were to go to Vegas you need to have a regular dome with good air conditioning or something with a retractable roof which I think it'd be better just to go the route of Something similar to what the Diamondbacks have with the retractable roof. Especially playing early in the year or around October if they were to make the playoffs. But the outdoor stadium type thing, it would backfire so badly. There's a reason why the Texas Rangers didn't play games until 8 o'clock at night most nights during the season during the summer. You gotta take into account the dry heat that's going on. And that's part of the reason also why Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals got a dome stadium in 2006. Think about how many times schedules had to be altered drastically to fit within 
the accommodations of how bad it gets down in Arizona with the heat. And Vegas is just as bad as places like Phoenix in terms of how hot it gets during the summer with the dry heat. And how you're constantly seeing over 100 degree uh, days. Like, I'm surprised. Uh, has Phoenix or other parts of Arizona and Nevada, have they ever had like 120 degree days? I'd imagine they have. I don't know if in recent memory or in the early parts of the 20th century or throughout the 20th century. It's hard to tell, but it has to be a regular stadium with either a dome or a retractable roof. There's no being cute with with the design. The only other notable, notable thing that, and this was something that that's was from within the last 48, 72 hours is Clayton Kershaw and I forget the other guy's name, but he was a guy for the uh, Nationals. So the LA Dodgers, the whole thing with with uh, this Pride Day type stuff since it is June, you're going to see stuff like like Pride stuff and all that. And looking at something from Deadspin, Deadspin is just basically clickbait crap because they have political fuel agenda. So... I forget the Nationals guy, but... So there's a group called Sisters of Prideful Indulgence. It's an LGBTQ group. And they were invited to Dodger Stadium. And this is a group that... Dresses up as nuns and mocks Christianity. And... Due to some backlash, Dodgers withdrew what they were going to do, and then came back a little while later and brought decided to do it. Actually, have them back. I don't think the problem here and is necessarily that it's an LGBTQ group. And that's basically what the thing is with Kershaw, the stuff going on, saying to him, stuff being, you know, he's saying about, you know, the mockery of, of Christianity and things of that nature. And he doesn't have a problem with what is going on. I think like a game in July against San Francisco and their pride type stuff. So I don't, I, I can kind of see where Kershaw's going. It's it, it he doesn't have a problem with the community being, you know, lesbian, gay, trans, whatever. Just show a little more pride and and not be 
nasty towards people you don't like. I think that's what he's trying to to say. Equal treatment, no matter what you are. I think that's I think that's what he was trying to go with. And the only other big thing for the NFL going to there quickly is DeAndre Hopkins being released by the Arizona Cardinals and having basically as some sites were saying no trade value. I think his health has played a factor into him not being traded and his suspension for I think it was PEDs last year. So his He's been in the league for ten, almost ten years now. Where he goes, that's a question in of itself. There's also a question of Dalvin Cook if he gets released by the Minnesota Vikings. Some are saying Miami would be a good fit for him. He did play down in Florida, but if that offensive line can be really good. This year, Miami could actually win a playoff game. I'll definitely talk uh, another sports-related stuff in a little bit. But talking television, I think when you hear about someone getting killed... It is a shock that resonates with people. And if it's someone you know, it it's something you, that you can never get rid of in your head. And talking, when you look at television and film, it, it is always stunning when you hear about some celebrity who was killed, you know, whether it it was murder or something like a plane crash or something of that nature. So I'm going to turn the clock a little bit to 1994. Uh, season 19, the end of Saturday Night Live season. And one of the final sketches that season was Chris Farley and Phil Hartman. And Hartman saying goodbye in a singing tone as it was the final part of his eight-year run on the show. December of 97, you had Farley pass away from a drug overdose, which wasn't surprising. he the issue of food, alcohol, drugs overwhelmed him and you know, basically went the way of John Belushi, unfortunately. Six months later, almost six months later, one of the most shocking things is Phil Hartman being murdered by by his own wife. And his wife turned the gun on herself not too long after. And that is one of the most shocking things in Hollywood and definitely probably resonates with some of the people in Hollywood 25 years later. 
this was a guy that one of the older guys on Saturday Night Live compared to some of the younger people that were on there. In fact, he was 49 when he when he was killed. So a guy in his mid to late 30s when he joined SNL was a guy that was involved in like comedy, improv and all that. He did like commercials for things such as Atari 2600 games. He, he was like he did like several video game type commercials. He was like a he was like a guy that was in commercials for like I think it was like M&Ms at one point. I think he also did like 1-800-COLLECT when they had like certain times during the 90s where some celebrities did commercials for it. He helped write the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He also was involved, I believe, with both the movie and the Pee-wee's Playhouse show. And he was actually an accomplished uh, voice actor. He did some dubbings for some films. He he was a constant guest star for The Simpsons back in the early 90s up until 98. In fact, one of his last episodes was uh, actually a good few months after he was murdered. And he was just starting to get into video games, too, with voice acting. Ignoring Simpson-type stuff, he did the game Blasto for the original PlayStation. It's actually a pretty good game. And it, his quips are actually pretty funny. Like, overconfident-type stuff. And it makes me wonder if Matt Groening ever played or saw the game and thought... Or maybe just based on what he worked on with the Hartman and the Simpsons to have him as Zap Brannigan for Futurama. But I think it also, when you think about it, showcased a guy who didn't talk much of stuff in his personal life and stories that surfaced years later on on his wife having substance issues and I think that's a story that's been heard of many, many times from you know, people that knew Hartman, you know, comedians that think something happened. Particularly, there was a story, I think I remember hearing something long ago, something regarding uh, John Lovitz getting in a fight with Andy Dick. Lovitz, uh, was on SNL around roughly the same Hartman, though he left around the start of the 90s. He also filled in as the radio guy for the TV show News Radio, which Hartman was on for all but the last season because of, unfortunately, being killed. Some along the lines of the wife having alcohol after being sober and being on all sorts of prescriptions. And it's one of those things, I think, and it pains me to even bring up uh, Robin Williams in that case, because 
Robin Williams had a lot of depression, and he was clean for a long time too, and then he wound up getting back on the wagon and drinking again, having issues, having depression. You wonder if there was a lot of depression going on even prior to going back to the substances and and all that. You know, something you don't really think of. I think if if you don't know if you have if you don't want to take prescriptions or anything like that but you know people do need to seek help the taboo of seeking needing help it needs to be disappear regardless of whether you think it's for attention or not if someone really is in dire need of help help them I'm talking like, you know, the mental side, because I think we don't take mental health seriously, and it's something I feel like we really need to, at some point, it needs to change immediately. I'm just hoping it could prevent, like, other tragedies from happening, stuff way bigger than 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 this, even though this is as huge a tragedy as... I mean, it shocked Hollywood. You know, Hartman was on his way to doing, like, like movies. Who knows how many video game voice roles, how many cartoons, how many movies where... I mean, he was basically the straight man for the most part in in a lot of the stuff. He... And he played it with such grace without breaking a sweat and breaking out a character, which is one of the most notable things about him. He it, That's what makes it funny. He's your straight guy for scenes where you, know, you have someone else that can be goofy, like a Chris Farley, for example. But, yeah, I mean, it's a shame. You wonder how many roles he could have... He could have done even today. Seventy-five in uh, September. You know, I think he still would have been continuing to act. You see that with some of these older people. There was a there was an article I was reading regarding. I think it was about some of these people like Clint Eastwood, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford. Granted, those are more drama, action type guys, but people gravitate towards them, and I think it's, just thinking that with Hartman, he brought out an interesting phase of SNL, and kept things going for them in that mid to late 80s, and Definitely one of SNL's biggest names, and probably one of the biggest names to be a part of it. After seeing a struggle, after like Eddie Murphy leaving and a few others, probably a far cry from the origin days. But yeah, it's just it's interesting to talk about it because I mean, like it's interesting. Speaking of some of the stuff that happened 25 years ago and 30 years ago, it's just these anniversaries coinciding, you know. 
to move on to something lighter. Yeah. So this popped up, I would say, within the last 24 hours, I'm going to say. So when you look at sports journalism, it's a joke. Like a huge joke. Yeah, about the last six hours or so. The story being on Shannon Sharp. The story being that he's leaving undisputed. Something he has done for the last seven years on Fox Sports 1. Him and Skip Bayless debating sports. If he is leaving... I would not be surprised at that because how many more times can you debate Skip Bayless and not deal with his effed up brain? I think a talent like Sharp is wasted being on something like that. Supposedly, according to multiple websites, contract being bought out by Fox Sports. I don't know if he's entirely done with Fox and is going to go somewhere else for sports or something else, but probably best to get away from Sharp. Not, not get away, get away from Bayless, especially with I think the end of the year was pretty bad when you think about it. The whole DeMar Hamlin thing, Bayless just being a complete jackass, and more jackassery with him ripping his co-host's career and comparing him to Tom Brady or whatever it was. Just utterly disrespectful towards Sharp. Sharp was one of the best tight ends for a good period of time in the 90s different era of course because and also not to mention Denver was a run heavy team especially when Mike Shanahan took over Terrell Davis you don't you don't see 2,000 yards without that impressive offensive line and sharp leading the way and John Elway of course you don't see that without guys like sharp and some of the other offensive line guys doing their blocking and and all that. I think he's probably mentally checked out Sharp because he doesn't want to deal with with this clown anymore. I wonder if anyone could tell the difference between Skip Bayless the person and Skip Bayless the personality. Because I feel like his brain has been screwed up so much I would say within the last 10 years. How much of this stuff does he believe? And how much is he just saying to get a debate going for ratings? Because I feel like that's probably the drive that keeps people watching first take on ESPN and this or maybe just the era of sports debate is is finished or at least on the decline speaking of 
on the decline. This one's a little bit not gaming related, but there is a website that is on the verge of of shutting down or with some big layoffs and that is comic book resources or CBR for that matter just trying to find it a little bit I mean there's been a bunch of layoffs within within like these big companies I'm trying to find it where the heck is it comic book resources I mean, these guys have been around for a very, very long time, going back to the mid-90s, from from what I understand. Yeah, back in 95. Trying to find the info for it, but I can't find it. But laying off, like, some big people and, like, editing and all that. And I think it's that continued trend of these websites that keep pushing out clickbait type stuff. And these websites are wondering why no one is gravitating towards them. Because people want actual journalism. They don't want someone who's having an emo type fit with their political bias and all this other crap. Think about it with, or like, like I said, the clickbait stuff. Think about these sites. It's Vice. It's CBR. It's it's Gawker. It's Deadspin. It's all these sites that try to rope people in, and whatever worked. Seven, eight years ago, it's not working, and people have checked themselves out. They want real stuff. They don't want these wannabe journalists who think they know what journalism is and keep ruining it for people. Inevitably, could be looking at a point where you may not see many of these fandoms continue to to survive. And I'm not sure some of these places like Comic Book Resources are going to make it out of the decade. You know, by the time we reach the 2030s. If the world is still existing by the 2030s. Now, one thing that isn't existing now is Dolphin Emulator for Steam. I believe there was a... Supposedly... There's like several stories. One of which was supposedly like a cease and desist from Nintendo. 
and the other being, you know, discussing it together and I'm just trying to find the info, but I think like it was either like I said, Nintendo cease and desisting on it or both Steam and Nintendo looking at it like, yeah, this is this is bad. Like a DMCA thing against it. Warning shot type thing, according to a lawyer. I don't trust Yahoo articles, but just trying to find something out. They actually discussed it. Yeah, it's just they asked in, you know. Yeah, it just sounds like they made a discussion. I think people are trying to twist it in a bad way. But at the same time, it, it sucks because Nintendo, when it comes to emulation, they are one of the worst when it comes to legacy content. And by that, I mean they barely try with, at times, with trying to put out stuff from the NES days, the Super NES days, and drip-feeding stuff that they've put out on some of their older delisted stuff on dead consoles like the Wii, the DS, the 3DS. So it just seems like it was... Some people had, like, a misunderstanding or something. I don't know. But it highlights something that people get tired of with Nintendo, and that is not making as big an effort to get some of their stuff onto other systems of their own. People don't want to spend $200 on a Zelda game, or Pokemon for that matter. People want to have something within their budget and make sure that they can play it without feeling like they need to break out their Game Boy that is draining badly on batteries and worry about a battery that could go out. Even though batteries at points for some of these games have some long-lasting durability. I think when it comes down to the GameCube and the Wii, which is what Dolphin Emulator worked on, there's definitely a time and place to get GameCube games on to the Switch. Although the file sizes are probably going to be the biggest problem with with the Switch. Although that could easily be alleviated with getting a 500 gig thing of a micro SD card. But probably one of the you know, just thinking that people are gonna keep are gonna download stuff onto that card, so it's more than just the GameCube stuff. 
I mean, you could easily put GameCube stuff on there. It, you got this library of stuff that you can put on there. Some Fire Emblems, some Metroid, Zelda, Super Smash Brothers, F-Zero. Think about that. Imagine getting with the GBA, the Game Boy, and all that stuff. Imagine having all the F-Zero games on there. Having most of the Zelda series pre-GameCube on there. You know how exciting that would be? And not just that, but trying to find like any other third-party companies that are still around or have the copyright or the IPs of some stuff... You're not going to get every game for the for these services. That'll never happen. But I think Nintendo going after Dolphin, I think they are being protective of their property, which is understandable, but I think they're trying to find a way to stop I don't know, piracy, which makes no sense because GameCube GameCube's been dead since 2007. The Wii's been dead really since 2015. I mean, sure, they've had Just Dance games come out until 2018, but in 2019, I don't really count 2020 with the Retro City Rampage stuff. I don't really count the, that stuff. I don't really count really since 2015. They've been dead, and their online shop stuff has been dead since 2019. People people want to find ways to to play GameCube and Wii without feeling like they need to sell a kidney to to pay for some of this stuff. And having something like that on the Switch or Steam would would greatly help. Although, thinking about that, Wii's probably next to impossible unless they find a way to have control features and options to where you can play it normally. Otherwise, I think it's it's going to be tough. Understandable what Nintendo's doing, but at the same time, their strictness really does hurt emulation. It really does, because you, lo- you lose not just Nintendo system stuff, but stuff across the Atari days, pre-NES days, DOS, old school Windows days, early Sega, and uh, TurboGrafx, and everything in between. To end it kind of on a silly note... So there was a panel going on recently regarding a discussion of The Last of Us with with Pedro Pascal, who was in the show playing Joel, and Kieran Culkin, who just finished up his TV show Succession, just trying to find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
from Unilad.com saw it offhand and a funny joke. This is from recently cracked a joke and talking about The Last of Us, Culkin and, and Pascal and talking about getting sucked into a video game and Pascal going, what game is that? And he says, Tron. It's actually pretty funny because Tron is a Disney movie that came out in the summer of 82 and was a flop in theaters, but definitely gained a cult following where Bridges' character is put into a video game and some of the effects they were doing really inspired companies to put out a fair share of Tron games during the arcade days, the Intellivision. They did put out a sequel in 2010, and there were, I think, a couple video games based on that movie, the second movie. I know they put out a couple ports of some of the Tron games from the 80s onto, I want to say 360 and maybe the PS3. But it's definitely funny, I mean, to make a joke about his own film. Although they, no one laughed at it. It's pretty funny. It's, it's just, like, I've never seen Tron, but it definitely, it got me just think reading the article. It was pretty funny. So, I'll end it here. <laughs> As I said before, this podcast is on Spotify, well, podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So that is episode 157. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.